right, welcome back, Ranch Nation. You mechanical maniacs hanging out with us here from the East Valley Institute of Technology. Always an honor to spend it with you. Uh, We missed you last week, but as always, we are with you in spirit. Now, listen, if you're new to the show, especially our podcast family, we're an automotive lifestyle show. However, we will cover some of the goodness that's happening in the service space. You want to hear a funny story? Yes. All right. I'm in Florida last week. I saw the gator picture. No, something with gators. My wife is just afraid (laughs) of gators. (laughs) And we ran. I don't want to tell you the gator story. I'm I'm talking about it's related to lights, vehicles. Oh, gotcha. So we're in a rental car, a Jeep. Not a big fan of Jeeps unless it's the uh, CJ lifted rock crawler Jeep. That's my Jeep. Gotcha. But we're in this conservative Jeep limited whatever. I hate conservative and stock. I, I got that. pulled over. <laughs> Why? Because the rear lights were off. Wow. So here, now I'm confused. I got to go back to the mechanical drawing board. I thought, this man is ASE certified with brakes. <laughs> were the headlights on? The daytime running lamps. I figured, okay, daytime running lamps. Sun's up. Everything's cool. At night, sun's down. Everything automatically comes on. Right. Those lights in the back didn't come on. Oh, wow. So I'm like, you know what I told the trooper? <laughs> you know how we are. All right, I was speeding. <laughs> My wife's like, you idiot, you weren't speeding. Don't give him information he doesn't need. <laughs> and he was very nice. He was a pleasant Floridian state trooper. Because some of those, I mean, you see big beefy marine looking guy with the hat. Yeah, he'd get nervous. What do you got in the trunk? <laughs> he just politely said, well, I just want to make you aware. <laughs> Your lights were not coming on. And I... I'm like, I'm giving everything away. Hey, you take cash. You need. <laughs> I thought I was in Mexico doing a payoff. But you guys, bottom line is, check your brake lights, man. Every good garage, and this is what I fear for you, you guys doing the cheeseburger drive through oil change. Quick. Yep. Wait in your car. I don't knock it, but are we checking everything? A good seasoned technician, neighborhood rock star mechanic, or even for that matter, dealer, they're going to check it. President Biden has united the automakers and auto workers to drive this whole leadership forward on clean cars. You've seen the news. Uh, there is an ambitious target, and it is truly ambitious, but is somewhat doable. And that's 50% of these electric vehicle sales shares in the U.S. by 2030. That's a lofty goal. Lots has to take place by way of technology and infrastructure. Some of you, in fact, Jeff, I ask you now before we bring in Mr. Scott Brown, let's just let's just speak on this. Are you ready right now to think about buying an EV vehicle? I have definitely thought about uh, buying an electrical vehicle. The thing that holds me back is really the distance. So range thing, anxiety, like you're you're worried, like you don't have the freedom. Oh, absolutely. I if if I can't get from point A to point B without having to recharge my vehicle, like nah, I don't like that. If I gave you twelve thousand dollar rebate on a forty two thousand dollar vehicle, I could bring the price to thirty thousand, which would drop your monthly payment. Sure. Would that change your mind a little bit? No, that would incentivize me. <laughs> incentivize you. <laughs> Definitely. Well, I mean, that's the gig. Like right now, uh, you know, this uh this bipartisan infrastructure law is this bill, this this whole deal is somewhat on hold. Part of that was a huge amount of money to sort of contribute to uh, recharging stations, right? Could be because manufacturers know this, right? The government that's sort of guiding knows this. So let's bring in Scott Brown, uh, industry authority. Scott Brown, welcome to the show. 
Hey, thanks for having me again, Frank. No, we appreciate uh, spending some time. You know, on that very point, I imagine you have folks that come in, you, you know, you, you've had an automotive service center for many, many years, and you're out there. I mean, how do you address the question of range anxiety uh, for folks? Does that seem to be a common, man, I, I'm just a little nervous about how far I can go. Is that common for you with your clients? Well, you know, I, I think that that is the mindset. Uh, but, you know, folks need to look at what what are they going to use that vehicle for? Um, most, uh, you know, when GM came out with the Chevrolet Volt, they did a study and found out that most people drive, you know, on average about 30 miles each way to work. And they said, oh, if we can build a car that can go 37 miles each way, um, then that would satisfy the appetite. Uh, so, you know, that's, that is a, that is a question that comes up and sometimes people have a difficult time figuring that out. Um, especially when they've been driving for years with, you know, on a gas vehicle and fuel stations are pretty much everywhere. Yeah. It's a transition. And, and this is so true on average, uh, drivers are reporting about 2.2 driving trips per day. They're spending about 50 minutes on the road and they are driving roughly 31.5 miles. So uh, further deeper, I've got some stats in front of me, Scott, which is pretty interesting. 186 billion driving trips. That's a phenomenal number. Now, with EVs, what's your thought on this uh, this sort of government push? And, of course, manufacturers are in line. They're tooling. They're transforming. They're, they're really taking the bull by the horn. Is, is this a like, legitimate goal of ours to get to 50% by 230 Electric vehicles yeah, on the road? It's a pretty robust uh, goal. Um, if you look at the market, you know, in, in the U.S. today, uh, there's about 3%, uh, you know, electrified vehicles. So that would be fully battery electric and including uh, hybrids. Now, here in California, though, we're, we're double that. It's about 6% uh, population. So, you know, that's, that's double. But to get to 50 percent, boy, we're going to have to have a real, real ramp uh, over the next. Uh, well, what is that? That's only nine years, right? You're saying 2030 or 2050? I'm oh, sorry. we're we're talking according to. And again, if you're listening, you can get the uh, fact sheet that's uh, readily available from the White House. Of course, this was December 13th, uh, 21. Uh, that fact sheet was uh, again. It is is not set in stone. It's an ambitious target. 50% of electric vehicle sale shares by 2030. Now, I thought I that's huge. I mean, right now you said we're at 3 4% roughly. Of course, California's double that. Perhaps your coastal cities, let's face it, they may be a bit more user-friendly to the EV market. We, we, I think we can all agree to that. But what do you, I mean, my concern, Scott, is how are we handling distance? Now, we just said the statistic of roughly 31 and a half miles, but what about our inner America, middle America, where distances, I talked to a shop owner out of Texas, the man drives 55 miles each way to his shop. And let's say he's looking at that F-150 Lightning. I think the next step would be, well, if you're going to ramp by 2030, infrastructures, I mean, recharging stations, what's your thought on recharging? Um, Where do we need to be? Yeah, true. Uh, so the recharging, you, you need to have uh, fast charging, and that fast charging is typically DC fast charging. So very high voltage DC current, uh, you know, to, to get that battery 
ramped up, um, you know, back to, back to that level so that uh, you don't have a lot of dwell time sitting at a, at a you know, recharging station. Scott, can you give um, us perspective yes. real quick? I, I, I want to interject because yeah. we have people listening and that's a big deal because the 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 challenge for them is okay i fill up if i fill my tank up at the gas station i go in and get coffee it takes whatever 10 minutes 11 minutes could you give us perspective regarding the various levels of charging you just mentioned fast charging give us some uh give us some perspective there about that yeah so dc uh, fast charging so i let me just uh, say up front you know i i drive a tesla model 3 and, uh, you know, it's a 2018 model, and I've got about 50,000 miles on that car. Driven it to Vegas multiple times, uh, San Francisco multiple times. Uh, that, I, I have to drive uh, roughly 200 miles or two, 250 or so, and then you're, you're pulling into a charging station. And you're getting that vehicle charged back up uh, to roughly about 80% in about 20 minutes, 20, 25 minutes. That's a fast so, charger. You know, yeah, so gotcha. that's a fast charger, and, and at that point, you know, you're you're ready to, you know, hop out of the vehicle, uh, use the facilities, get something to drink, or what have you. Um, if you're looking at, you know, taking a trip like that, that's that, those are doable. And I've I've noticed that even though I'm driving a Tesla, Tesla has their supercharging network. You can pretty much drive anywhere in, in the U.S. and and have supercharging along the routes. But I've noticed a lot of um, Electrify America. That's one that's uh, that was actually funded by Volkswagen through through Volkswagen and their fines that they they got levied against them for that diesel all that diesel gate. Oh yeah. So they are they are basically populating a lot of the infrastructure out there, and these are with DC fast charging. So that infrastructure is actually being built out today, um, you know, in anticipation for this uh, this new market. Yeah, that's important, and I invite you listening if, if, as part of your research. I mean, I think you know. Um, some of you are already doing this, uh, fast charging DC station near me. Now save yourself on that. Most of these EV vehicles have all incorporated, but I will invite you to check out, uh, plug share, which is an app. And you know, that's, uh, of course each, each manufacturer, Scott, of course, has their own proprietary of where it's at. You just mentioned Volkswagen and so on. I, I want to get back into, um, the service bays and, and one of the questions at this point, obviously it's very premature, uh, to sort of a, a wait and feel, we're test driving, getting a sense. And, and I talk to a lot of shop owners across the country, and they're hitting it at face value, right? Okay, what's it look like training? What's it look like um, uh, availability of software? We're going to talk about that. But one of the things I think that is missing, which is reported as critical to an EV user operator owner, is the EV experience. And we just talked about these EV charging stations. Would it be a recommendation of you for an average aftermarket shop owner to start thinking about how do I design an EV experience, i.e. maybe putting a charging station, maybe there's a, an EV bar? What's your thought on that? Yeah, that's that's a good good topic. So, like I said, I, I've been driving a Tesla now for a few years. Uh, prior to that, I had a, a Chevrolet Volt, a Gen One Volt. Uh, so, I've I've been driving you know electrified vehicles for a while. And uh, I'll tell you that one um, on the service impact side, when you go to a bat- full battery electric vehicle, 
uh, there's going to be less maintenance. There's less things to, to actually uh, take care of uh, and, on the vehicle. And, you know, and on You're that point, have, I've got to stop you yeah. there. And I do. I want to flow this because traditionally... Um, for those that have you listening, right, you go in, you get your car fixed, you sit, you wait, you drop off. Maybe they got a shuttle. The good shops take care of all of those convenience factors. But shouldn't our industry look at this in a different way and create a business model more so on the EV experience, which would incorporate, hey, maybe I've got EV uh, vehicles for sale. Hey, I've got the charging stations. Hey, I've got more entertainment value. So my question then would be, what do EV owners do when they are charging? I mean, what, what's that experience like? Just to give insight. Yeah. So I, I think I, I think really to answer your question, you know, what can the traditional service dealers, you know, the independent service center, uh, do to help facilitate, you know, services that they can provide to these new powertrains or these new vehicles? You know, one of the things is that these vehicles are very sophisticated, and they're going to have a lot more uh, driver aids on them. And I can tell you firsthand that a lot of consumers are not getting uh, schooled very well when they're buying these vehicles at the dealership. So I, I think that you know, one of our goals here in my shop is that uh, we want to become highly fluent in all of the technology so that we're able to, uh, one, provide that consumer with the intelligence around that, we want to establish ourselves as the go-to uh, when you need a solution, um, or you, you have a misunderstanding of how the how the system's operating or what have you. Um, you know, we have a level level two charger here, which is an AC charger. It'll support up to nine point six kilowatts, which which is like a, the Leaf um, and, um, and and some some of the Toyota that were the Toyota EVs that are only in California, uh, powered by Tesla stuff. But um, that really doesn't get you know used by our consumers. They don't come here and visit. But when we're when we're servicing the car, when we are doing a tire uh, rotation or maybe we're replacing tires and doing wheel alignment, we'll go ahead and put it on the charger so we charge that vehicle all up. So when the consumer picks it up, it's fully charged, and that's hey, that's a nice benefit. That's a concierge um, yeah. level of service, and I and I think uh, many of us, uh, you know, off mic have talked about that. Like, what what does our industry look like? And again, I speak to the aftermarket as well as dealers. You know, dealers have that concern as well. They've got to provide an experience, but specifically to you know, we'll get to the technology uh, in a minute. But if a business operator were to look at this more from a concierge level of service because the argument is, well, I'm not getting enough information to fix most of it or portions of it. We'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, Or I'm not going to see a lot of these in the shop. One would think, based upon what you just mentioned, that we should have a package level of concierge, which includes uh, what you just mentioned, you know, sort of a, a golden nugget that way. Yeah, and, and you know, one thing that just came to mind, what you talked about earlier about uh, moisture getting into those connectors on that, uh, the Nissan, right, that's getting recalled. Well, these battery electric vehicles are very sophisticated and, and you know, you don't want any moisture like that. So, you know, having a periodic inspection where you're looking that car over really well, making sure that there isn't any pending things happening, um, I think is also going to bring a, uh, a higher level of service 
and uh, help that consumer, you know, stay on the road safely. The other aspect here is that these cars are going to be under warranty. Um, you know, they're, they're going to have powertrain warranties that are going to be mandated. You know, currently, I think the battery and the power electronics um, are warrantied for eight years uh, or, or or some are some are even more. I think in California, that uh, warranty level is a little higher. But um, they still need to have tires rotated. They still need to have things inspected. Um, you know, sometimes the cars are not put put together <laughs> completely uh, properly um, from the factory. And, uh, you know, we find stuff on, on new cars all the time. We, we recommend to our customers, hey, bring the car in. When you get it, we want to put it on the alignment rack and do an, an audit. We find cars all the time that the alignment is not correct. And, you know, the consumer usually finds that problem 20,000 miles down the road when the tires are wearing funny. Yeah, no doubt. And, and, so and speaking on Tesla, um, many, many out there that listen to the show. Um, I mean, obviously, we're avid fans of Tesla, Elon Musk, and all the great things that he's uh, pushing the envelope on. Um, it seems like a, a lot of concern for Tesla drivers is the what could be, in their minds, compared to other uh, ICE platform, is the premature wear of tires. Are you seeing that with, uh, I mean, you're a driver of Tesla. Are you seeing that? I am. And I can I can tell you some of the uh, attribution there is uh, people are not rotating the tires on a regular schedule. How okay, often should they do one. that, Scott? Six to 7,000 miles. Okay. So that's uh, two, you know, tire inflation should be done. But the other thing is that these vehicles have so much torque that it is so hard for people to not get into the throttle, leaving a stop. And uh, that ends up wearing tires as well. I mean, that's probably what induces a lot of the wear, um, just uh, hard acceleration uh, on the vehicle. Um, but uh, but anyways, uh, they are a pleasant vehicle to drive. I mean, any battery electric vehicle, you will notice, um, you know, all that vibration that you would normally get from that uh, internal combustion engine is completely gone. And uh, all the noise and everything else is gone. So it's a pretty cr- incredible experience. What was your biggest, uh, you know, and speaking to those that may be making the transition, um, when you, you sort of transitioned many years ago out of ICE, you know, that internal combustion engine into a EV platform, what was, well, I was going to say, what was your biggest shocker, Scott, about what driving one of these yeah. things? Is it that very sort of torque, freeless, you know, just you felt that much freer because it, you, you literally have that much more response and acceleration? Yeah, I mean, that that was part of it. But, you know, for me, you know, as a technologist, uh, you know, in the automotive uh, space, um, I I wanted to get in front of the technology. I wanted to experience the technology. I wanted to experience everything that was happening, you know, around charging and what have you. Um, And then on top of that, I basically I went to I went to solar. And so I'm making my own fuel um, at the same time. And if you look at the fuel prices today, all my employees are going, oh, my gosh, they're starting to seriously look at a battery electric vehicle. And they're doing the math and figuring out what the what the delta is on fuel costs. Uh, So that was that was the uh, primary incentive there for me was the the technology, the conversion from energy, uh, you know, the energy conversion and then doing the math and uh, the savings on fuel. I mean, it, it was quite remarkable. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Tesla, almost a million cars sold last year. I think I just read a report 
uh, that Tesla produced in one week more vehicles on their line than I think it was Toyota or one of the manufacturers. Now, that was just a, a one-off at this point, but maybe they're going somewhere with that. I mean, they really got that dialed in. What is Tesla's stance regarding the aftermarket and any underhood dealings for an automotive technician? You're on the front line with others like Seth Thorson, uh, president at Eurotech, who is actually uh, on the front lines as well with Tesla in his garage. What is uh, Tesla's stance right now regarding the aftermarket partnership? Yeah, so uh, there's some interesting posturing going on. Um, you know, we, we through NASDAQ, the National Automotive Service Task Force, uh, you know, we have agreements with all the different automakers, uh, most of the automakers in the U.S. here, um, where they would provide uh, service information, uh, tooling information, tooling access, uh, and, and access to training. Uh, don't have that official agreement with Tesla, but um, as of August of last year, Tesla made the made access to what's called the toolbox diagnostic software application um, that that basically addresses all of the uh, atom based or the Intel based vehicles. So it would be all the Model Three and Model Y vehicles, and I think 2020 and later. S and X platform. And so you can buy that. You and I, Frank, we can go right to Tesla's website. We can set up an account. We can buy a short-term access or a long-term access. We can now communicate with the car and do um, certain operations uh, that are essential to doing, um, to, to properly servicing the, the vehicle. So that that is one aspect. However, we don't have access to everything within that tool. Um, there are some things that are are filtered out um you know and scott why is that i gotta ask you so one of the one of the problems and and consumers are are folks that listen to the show sometimes they're frustrated uh they have a great relationship with a local uh, automotive technician local automotive uh service facility and and once in a while they hear hey we can't access the data you have to go over here um why isn't tesla at this point releasing everything we need to know if a consumer decides, hey, you know what, I want to take it to Frank's place or Scott's place or anyone else that, that they take their other cars to, why is Tesla holding back information and only giving us tidbits here and there? Yeah, well, I, I can't speak for uh, for Tesla, but I can tell you that um, if you look at Europe, um, if, if you actually go to service.tesla.com and go to their website and look from the European region, you will see that they offer service uh, training as well. So you can sign up and you can go to the aftermarket training operations uh, that they provide. So we don't have that here in the States, and that's really what's, what I think is essential. Why, uh, Scott? To I got to ask you why. I, I, I got to ask you why. I know that the Europeans are cutting edge. Hey, we're cutting edge, too. What's holding us back? Are we, are we playing legislation issues um, is this a particular concern here in the country, in the states, by way of what Tesla sees here that could be a problem? Why did the yeah. why why is that? If you if, why yeah, I think the the leading question or the leading answer is probably legislation. So in Europe, there is a right to repair, um, you know, program there, and this is why. Um, why I think they have access to it. The other thing is that the, these technicians in these different countries, they are actually licensed. 
So they cannot work on automobiles unless they have uh, achieved a certain level of uh, education and, and credentials. Which here so, in this country, which is a big problem, you and I both agree, because we'll be, I mean, I know out of California, you have deeper licensing in the state of Arizona. I can just, hey, I, op- I operated a fish market last week. There is no license for me. Next week, I can open up an automotive garage, period. There's no licensing. There's nothing. There isn't even an ASE certification requirement. ASE certification, uh, sort of governing body about how well I do in certain categories under hood. There is no mandate for that. And so here we are. Here's a situation. Europe, all of my U.S. technicians have to sort of piddle-diddle-daddle while over in Europe. Why is it that we can't get our heads straight from state to state and license? Are we afraid of big government? What's going on there? I want to talk on that. Yeah, I, I think it's, um, you know, we're, we're an independent uh we're an independent body here, and uh, a lot of guys don't like to be told what to do. But I, I think we're we're hitting this inflection point where the technology, um, the technology stack in the automobile is going to demand a certain level of minimums to meet in order to properly service these vehicles, especially when we get into the electrification, because people can get hurt. Right, you've got voltage potentials on that vehicle that can definitely um, cause cause harm. And if the, somebody's taking something apart that uh, doesn't know what they're doing, or they're in an area that they, they are not reading service information and taking the right precautions, they're going to get hurt. Now, there are some bodies out there that um, the folks from ICAR uh, and a colleague of of ours, uh, Dirk Fuchs, who's a trainer. Um, he went and spoke to Congress. He was asked to speak, and they essentially said, well, show me some dead bodies, and then we'll talk. I mean, that's essentially what the summation was, and yeah. that's pretty discouraging. For those of you listening, um, ICAR, um, the, the, basically, if a Tesla is going to see uh, a need for service, at this point, Scott, it's fair to say most of it's going to be body work. And so the body correct. body... Uh, collision industry, they're on the front lines. However, on the mechanical side, um, let's get to Seth Thorson, uh, who is leading the charge. Uh, he's got what is a common problem with Teslas, which is the outer handles. They can break or not operate properly. Talk to us about why Seth would see more consumers come to his place by way of having a quicker fix. My understanding is it could be uh, a month or so before someone's driver's handle could be fixed because there's an overwhelming need for service that Tesla is sort of struggling with at this point. Yeah, and you have to think, you know, uh, you have to look at Tesla as a new car company, right? They they don't have that uh, long-term foundation and, uh, and infrastructure um, and parts. I mean, all the parts that they're producing are basically being used to build brand-new cars. Um, yeah, it is kind of frustrating. I think the, the market is definitely saturating their service offering, and I, I hope that this is why they're, they're now looking at the aftermarket, and uh, hopefully we can be an extension to providing support um, for them. But why Seth is seeing these, uh, one, Seth is up in, in the Minneapolis area, and he's, not, he's got four shops up there now. And, you know, that's kind of a harsher environment. Um, he's integrated with, integrating with uh, a lot of the Tesla people. 
Uh, Tesla folks like to hang out on, on uh, internet forums and, and discuss their challenges as well. So that's how he's, he's becoming known. But he's also dissecting these things and figuring out, hey, this, this is really what's fit, breaking on them, and this is all I need to replace. And so he's figured out a way to get pieces and figured out a way to, to fix the handle and then calibrate it and, and get the customer back out on the road. In some cases, I've heard that you make an appointment with Tesla and, you know, they, they may not have the problem diagnosed yet because they haven't seen the car yet, but they might have an idea. But you get the car in and then they check it and then they say, oh, yeah, we've got to order these parts. And the parts could be, you know, a month away, it could be three weeks away. Who knows? So, yeah, it's definitely we're in, a, in the middle of a growing pains uh, dilemma here. And uh, so perhaps, you know, there are some opportunities uh, that are unfolding in front of us, um, but it isn't a, uh, it isn't a huge market yet, um, if you follow what I'm saying. We, we've got, you know, all these vehicles are still under warranty, but uh, maybe some of these customers will say, hey, forget the warranty. I just want my car fixed and I'll pay you to fix it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a minority of it. And in all fairness to Tesla, we love Tesla. Um, on the other token of that, which we don't see, right? Uh, and it's evolving on the I side and eventually that goes away. But uh, you got to love the over-the-air updates. It's like my cell phone that's updated, uh, my computer. As a vehicle, certain quirks. Talk to us about what you're doing sort of on a regular basis as a consumer of an EV that has all the input immediately to saying, Hey, this is a problem. Talk to us about that. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is amazing. I mean, this, the, the Tesla platform, you know, these vehicles, they, they are the, the future. I mean, this is the vehicle platform of the future. Um, yeah. Over the air updates come in, uh, they, they have bug fixes. They, they, you know, they publicize what it is that they're actually fixing. You can read about it. Um, right on the the information screen on, on in the vehicle, um, whereas on the on the um, other manufacturers, and I mean, I could have a you know twenty twenty model year vehicle that you know something happened to a module, maybe it got in a wreck, I have to replace it. In order for me to reprogram it, I got to plug, I got to hook up all kinds of computer equipment and, and interfaces and and jump through hoops and then get the thing programmed. And it's like, wow, um, why are we not doing it? Well, part of the problem is that you have to have a stable uh, power supply for the for the vehicle, 12-volt system. Well, you've got a 12-volt system on the Tesla being supported by that big, massive battery. So that alleviates a lot of the, a lot of the issues. But there's, there are still situations where in service, you will have to have some sort of apparatus on the vehicle and manually do updates for Tesla. But um, to answer your question, from the user experience, uh, the end user experience, it, it's it's awesome. I mean, we uh, we have customers that come in and they'll ask us, "Hey, can you change this feature or whatever on their car?" And, and yeah, we have the ability to, you know, interface with say Toyota or what have you and and upgrade it, but we've got to bring the car in and actually do the operation. And, um, whereas, you know, I'm, I'm doing it, uh, sitting on my couch at home or, or my car, uh, like when we were in North Carolina, uh, a few months ago, uh, I got an update and I updated my car 3000 miles away. So, yeah, I mean, that's uh, the way of the future for sure. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, rolling works of software, (laughs) you know, uh, for sure. I got to mention this because 
we have a lot of shop owners and, and technicians from, from all over the country. We have many actually uh, listening from all over the world. And, and sometimes they, they get sort of analysis paralysis across the board, whether it's, you know, trying to diagnose a vehicle, uh, the information that's coming at them from the industry, all the various movements to legislation. One thing I wanted to mention, and you mentioned it, if you are listening now and you want to know, hey, where can I have a really good summary A one, like this is one of the first things that I'm going to check. And of course, in the future, Scott, we both know this is probably going to come to a mandatory point, And that's the National Automotive Service Task Force. Talk to us how significant is it for the automotive technician to really be paying attention uh, with this uh, NAS staff and, of course, the great folks, Donnie Cipher and a few others. Those that may not know, what's the importance here of NAS staff? Yeah, so the National Automotive Service Task Force uh, was formed um, to help identify uh, gaps in um, service information, access to, uh, you know, to, to make that uh, successful repair in a vehicle. Um, they work closely with automakers, so they are basically the liaison or the gateway between automakers and the aftermarket. And if you're not engaged with them now, it doesn't cost you anything. You can go to nasdaf.org and uh, create an account, and uh, you can subscribe to different topics um, and, and stay up to date with uh, things that are happening. But we have this uh, service information request process, and that is a, a process in which uh, service technicians uh, in the field can report deficiencies um, where they're not able to do certain things with an OEM that uh, that they should be able to do. And so they fill out this, um, they post this uh, SIR, and it, it gets sent to the folks at, uh, at NASDAQ. NASDAQ distributes that to the OEMs, uh, and then they work with them to get a resolution and communicate back to the the, the individual that's posting this, but it's also posted um, in the uh, SIR uh, platform that is actually hosted by the diagnostic network, and that's at diag.net. And so it's not only helping that guy or that gal that has that deficiency with that OEM, but everybody else can stay in tune with that. And, and you know, if you're a Ford, uh, Ford shop, you can subscribe to the Ford topics there uh, in that NASDAQ area and, and uh, take a look at that that information and, and stay up to date and stay in tune with that. Because when you see these deficiency uh, instances, now when you have a car that comes in and maybe you're going to have a service uh, repair event and it might indi- it might you know be related to what you saw previously, now you have a little more deeper knowledge around. Uh, what what to expect, or what uh, you know, what pitfalls may exist, or whether or not uh, you're able to actually take care of that problem. Uh, but more importantly, is that you, we have the communication channel to the OEMs, and where we can, they are listening to us because they again realize that we can't, they can't fix all the cars. They need the aftermarket to keep their customers uh, happy. And, um, you know, if you look at what Toyota has done, Toyota is, you know, one of the leading automakers out there. They realize that there's a customer life cycle where they want them to buy their third and fourth and fifth, you know, Toyota or Lexus vehicle. And if they have a great experience in the aftermarket, they're likely going to buy a, 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 the next vehicle from their manufacturer. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, the information is, 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 is free flowing. And I think that's one of the biggest complaints 
you know, we nudge each other in the service space and we say, oh, why did the engineers design it that way? And we see a common pattern failure. Well, here's your chance. You can actually have communication uh, through NASTAF, National Automotive Service Task Force, and, of course, diag.net. I'll have that in the show links. They'll all be hyperlinked if you guys are listening to this on the podcast. Pay attention. Um, you know, part of the neat thing about this industry is that as we've evolved, it has gotten a whole lot better. If you understand some terminology, you understand how a little bit of this data works, you're getting your fulfillment of training. Boy, these cars don't have to be complicated. And it is absolutely about where's my resource? Where am I going to get my resource that's accurate, on time, efficient? Because you can easily go down the rabbit hole. And I think with electric vehicle platforms, um, look, there's going to be some noise out there. Uh, you and I, Scott, had talked, uh, of course, with uh, Seth and many others. The key thing for us is we've got to be safe. You know, we, we've got to get through those hurdles first. You know, there's a lot of this uh, that's going on, and, and, and safety is key. And, and in order for us to address some of our regular clients that, hey, we love you. We've been coming to you for 20 years with our Volkswagen, you know, Beetle, Bug, our little Honda Civic. I've got this Model 3, or I am looking at an F-150. I don't think they gave me a good walk around, which you mentioned, which is lacking. How many of you driving right now, truly, with your newer vehicle, understand how to fully operate all these bells and whistles? And I hate to say it, my dealership family, we're weak in that arena because I get those in the shop. Scott Brown, many in the industry, and so... You know, our folks want us to be able to give us that that sort of concierge. And and so you're speaking on that, and I think that is uh, it is critical. Scott, I'm thinking about buying an electric vehicle. What uh, what can you tell me about what I need to resource before I pull the trigger on? I'll just go buy a Tesla. <laughs> uh, not endorsed by Elon Musk, of course. <laughs> Uh, Tesla's uh, the way to go for sure. I, I am eyeballing that F-150 Lightning, honestly. Yeah, I think that uh, if you go to, if you go check out Sandy Monroe, uh, Monroe and Associates, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're the ones that do a lot of teardown on uh, vehicles, and uh, they're tearing down all different types of vehicles, and they talk about different efficiencies and stuff. It's absolutely amazing. You'll get some really good insight on who builds what better and um where some improvements can be made, but uh, that's that's a good research uh, point. But you know, whenever you buy something brand new out of the gate, uh, first first year, um, that's always been a a no no in my book. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's gas or, or electric um, because that's that's almost like the beta platform. The beta platform, yeah, yeah, you know. yeah. And <laughs> so, and I got to give uh, proper respect to Sandy Monroe, automotive engineer. Both my in-bay technicians, mechanics, you definitely want to see. Uh, you can get on to YouTube, Monroe Live YouTube. He's got a great channel, and he is a well-respected engineer who really does dive in. He's tearing motors apart. He's tearing, uh, you know, Tesla 3s, Model S's. He gets access, and, and he does an amazing job. Uh, so check that out, Monroe Live on YouTube. Uh, both Scott and I and many in the industry follow that because he's kind of cutting edge Industry Ambassador at Diagnostic Network. I am honored to always have you on the show. You can catch Scott Brown if you're in the Claremont, California area. Uh, you can visit his garage. We'll always take care of you. Scott, I'll see you at an industry event soon. Thank you so much for joining Ranch Nation. 
You're welcome, and have a great day. I want to read the article so I get it straight. No hashtag fake news. Toyota owners enjoying the remote start feature on the 2018 or later car may be in for an unpleasant surprise. They may have to pay. Now, this article says may. I'd have to follow That's through. It's confusing they, a little bit. They may have to pay an unexpected, unexpected. What's wrong with your stock, Toyota? You're making money. Stop charging right. people. <laughs> they, may have to, they may have to subscribe for that. So you'd have to pay to remote start your car. 2018 and later, Toyota's remote start is part of the Toyota Remote Connect. And when they come in the service bay, please, that is not a free check. Those things are not easy to check or inspect or test. Spokesman said the vehicle must be enrolled in a valid subscription in order for the key fob to start the car remotely. That's where we're going. Mm. Yeah. So I hope that's not true. I hope hope you guys can help us out. Get on a wrenchnation.tv. Or get on our Wrench Nation Facebook. If you haven't subscribed, uh, click on the like there on Facebook. Uh, We love the interaction. I want you guys to stay tuned because we're diving in deep to the world of Hot Wheels, going back in time with some of the original uh, little Hot Wheels that we used to collect. And what makes Hot Wheels today still an avid, avid hobby? Of a lot of collectors out there. It's still around, Greg. It's terrible. I, I can't even go to the store without buying at least one, even today. I'm saying Hot Wheels will probably have their own NFT soon. <laughs> right. They're not letting technology take them away. Honored to have the historian Mike Zarnick, Hot Wheels collector, one of the largest collections in the world. Stay tuned, Ranch Nation. Of course you want your mileage back. And all the extra money you've spent feeding an engine gunked up with carbon. Your car needs its fuel system cleaned, and it needs it now. You need BG44K. It's the one dealerships use the most. In fact, they use BG44K almost 3 to 1 over any other fuel system cleaner made. To find a shop near you, go to BGFindAShop.com. That's BGFindAShop.com. I got my mileage back. BG. Well, listen up. I'm talking to you about one of the premier auto parts superstores in the country, Parts Authority. One of the biggest problems that we can have in a modern-day garage is when our parts don't arrive on time or the quality of our parts are just not there. The Parts Authority Auto Parts Superstores, amazing service, knowledgeable counterfolk, national program, quick delivery, AC Delco, Monroe, Parts Authority Auto Parts Superstore. If you're an installer or own a garage, you need to check out PartsAuthority.com. Bolt-On Technologies, automotive software solutions. Auto repair shops that have Bolt-On Technologies software provide customer vehicle condition reports, including photos and text, real-time digital reports, multi-point inspections, estimates, and repair information at your fingertips. Info at boltontechnology.com. Over the years as a service operator in the automotive industry, owning my own shop, boy, that's a lot of responsibility. Well, if you're part of a network, a network that truly makes a difference by the way of the programs it has, like a nationwide warranty, roadside assistance reimbursement, and customer retention, targeted marketing, well, that's going to put you in a different league. You are now armed up and ready to go with a network of other shop owners throughout the country. And by the way, the technical training is stellar and top-notch. Get your technicians to actually train on their time 24-7 with an amazing slew of technical training programs. The Pronto Smart Choice Service Center program is something I invite you guys, if you're in the automotive industry, take a peek at it, pronto-net.com. 
pronto-net.com. 52% of the population family are women. We love you ladies, but less than 3% of you women are professional technicians. Our charity partner, Tech Force Foundation, believes if we want to solve this little technician shortage, we need to start talking to 52% of these ladies out in the population. Head on over. If you feel like you can tinker with the best of them, head on over to techforce.com. Vision collision. God forbid you get into an accident or you get a little bumper, fender, bender, slight, or even if you've got that shopping cart that ends up scratching the side of your newer ride. My friends at Vision Collision, they're certified. They deal with insurance companies, but also what I really like is they were able to deal with my situation. I didn't want to exercise my insurance. And I paid out of pocket and they gave me a very fair price with quality work. So for any complete auto body paint and repair, you want that small business, the heart of business that treats you one-on-one. Vision Collision, 480-248-9049, visioncollision.com. When you're thinking about body shop or collision work, paint repair, dent repairs, collision, wheel restoration, Vision Collision is the way to go. Tell them Frank at Wrench Nation sent you. 480-248-9049. 480-248-9049. Vision Collision. You know, when we're talking about a relationship in a business, we're talking about not only relationship with your clients, but also relationship with those folks that are working hard to help promote your business. TheMailShark.com. Many of you have marketing plans in place now that are kind of shaky. You're not getting the return that you want. TheMailShark.com. Print and direct mail made easier. They will get the job done for you. You want to talk about increasing your car count. Whether you're a general repair shop or specialty shop, they have a solution for you. TheMailShark.com. There's never any money up front. They give you the ability to mail and pay weekly. Talk about helping a small business cash flow with over 16 direct mail products with both paper and plastic options. They will keep your marketing fresh. And one of the things I enjoy working with MailShark is they have absolute world-class customer service. Print and direct mail made easy. Give my friends at MailShark a call today. TheMailShark.com. Right on, welcome back. Get on to WrenchNation.tv if you have not. And by the way, thank you. Many of you have. Subscribe, sign up for a weekly email newsletter. Uh, there's a ton of stuff and announcement. You can always catch that. Keep up with our goings-ons. And I remind you, speaking of goings-ons, this is our time of year in the desert uh, for all of my folks coming in from Canada. A lot of you listen to the show, our snowbirds, if you will. Concourse in the Hills, February 12th. 10 a.m. at the beautiful Fountain Park in Fountain Hills, Arizona. Concourse in the Hills, raising some serious money. Almost a million dollars with over a 1,000 vehicles on the greens, raising money for the Phoenix Children's Hospital. So you guys will be out there. We'd love to see you. It's going to be a great time. He's having some helicopters out there, too. Helicopters. He's got Cobras, Apaches. He's got a ton of... You know, that show there will bring in last-minute surprises. Mm-hmm. And so many of you say, well, I've seen car shows, but you really want to head out. And it's for a great cause. The Concourse in the Hills, February 12th, uh, 10 a.m., Fountain Park up in Fountain Hills. We'll be out there. And I'll have swag. I'll have the hats, the Wrench Nation hats. How much is it? Well, I'll give them away. We're not about that. They're hats. They're nice hats, actually. They are. I've seen them. 
Mike Zarnick is an American author and columnist who writes collector guides and articles about Hot Wheels toy cars and accessories. And he is currently the producer and editor of and host of his own little Hot Wheels TV on YouTube. We welcome Mike. Mike, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you very much. Good to be here. Yeah, welcome. Yeah. Man, you got us all jealous. We're trying to figure out during the break, how do we how do we screw up the potential for a Hot Wheels career? We were stepping on our cars. How do, <laughs> hitting how them do, with hammers. Hitting them with hammers. We were trying, we were reinventing, you know, like little engineers. We all did, did it, man. I mean, you know, um, Hot Wheels wouldn't, wouldn't be worth what they're worth today if everybody still had theirs. You know, everybody, everybody's mom gave them away to nephews and cousins and, and all kinds of stuff. And, you know, it's, it's all in the supply and demand. And, you know, all that stuff is gone. So that's why it's all... You know, guys my age, your age, you know, we're all trying to buy our childhood back. And, uh, you know, so that's what makes the red lines, the early stuff, you know, yeah. go, go for crazy prices. You know, but yeah, we all, you know, put firecrackers in them and, and hit them with a hammer and shot them with 22s and BB guns and, you know, so, but now we're older and, and that's the stuff that brings us back to our childhood, you know, where we don't have to, to worry about, you know, paying the mortgage and, well, we do, but... <laughs> It brings right. us back to Hot Wheels you know, makes all, all it that much is, better, right? You know, yeah, yeah. All we have to do is mow the lawn and, and, and make our bet, you know. So. Yeah. So before we get into some of your history and background, I, I got to mention this because if we follow the rate of inflation, Hot Wheels has kind of stayed on course and haven't really increased the price of the cars. Can I say Isn't that? It crazy. I mean, what are they? A dollar now? Later. Still a dollar? It was a dollar. Years later, it's yeah. ninety. Well, Walmart's kind of for ninety-four cents. Yep, we need we need Hot Wheels in the federal government. I'm thinking <laughs> right. the, the Fed, yeah. that Treasury, get some Hot Wheels people in there. <laughs> they were yeah. 60, 69 cents, I think, when I bought them in nineteen sixty-eight, fifty-four yeah, years ago. That crazy, and, they, they, and yeah, and they're and they're still under a dollar. So yeah, what else can you do? That I mean, man, you can get a loaf of bread like that. All right, so you were young way back in the day. You were messing around. Oh, yeah. You were messing around, and you had an affinity. Something connected you to Hot Wheels. After which today became a big thing. Was there any of that? Did you think about Hot Wheels much differently than the rest of the schoolyard when you were younger? You know, um, yeah, yeah, I did because I, I I grew up in a body shop. My dad, you know, was a body man, and I was always at the garage. You know, I, I was I was standing uh, standing quarter panels as soon as I could reach it. You know, so um, but I I was always souping up my matchbox cars, you know, which were before Hot Wheels and, and my slot cars and stuff like that. And I, I just loved cars. So when I saw the Beatnik Bandit or the Silhouette, uh, you know, the, the Ed Roth cars, I, my, I, I just loved them. You know? Big Jetty Ed Roth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, um, when I saw them, I was, man, that's it. I'm in love. I, I, I wanted nothing to do with building models anymore or slot cars. I mean, I was into Hot Wheels. And I had to have one of everything that came out. It didn't matter, you know, the, the colors, um, like, like now. But, uh, yeah, I had to have each and every one. I had to have all the track sets. Um, I used to write letters to Mattel, asking them for parts, you know, for wheels and tires wow. and stuff. Yeah, a little Hot Wheels yeah. uh, shop. You had a little lift for that. I mean, I could see <laughs> you do get into it. It's like any other hobby, <laughs> which is cool. Did you have an alignment rack in the back? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Well, wheels. Know, they, did have a, they did have a tool to align the wheels, you know, because my mom was always stepping on them. And after I had to find them after she threw them because, you know, she got mad. But, uh, which, you know, which, of course, we all got whipped with that with that orange Hot Wheel track because that was the closest <laughs> thing that your mom could get a hold of when she was smacking you. But... 
Hey, I, my, in my apartment in New York, we there were heartwheel cars stuck in some concrete that people were throwing there. I mean, mom was, if she was upset, in my household, I, I didn't have a good chance starting as a Hot Wheels collector. <laughs> that just wasn't happening. So, Mike, you have to tell us, what is the very first car that starts, sparks your memory that you bought? Um, it, it it was either the the silhouette or the or the bandit. Really? Uh, yeah, because I, I was I was walking into W T Grants, which was our little local store, and I'm looking for Tom Daniel models. I was in love with Tom Daniel stuff, and I was waiting for the the latest whatever design he had. You know, whether it was the garbage truck or the you know bad fifty five. Uh, and I, I look, and there is you know Hot Wheels, and there is you know the Beatnik Bandit and the silhouette, and it's like wow, I got I gotta have one of these. Yeah. And uh, so it, I don't remember exactly which one it was, but those were the first two that I did buy. And, uh, yeah. Let's and, go back in yeah. time. Uh, you, you, I know, so going into history with, with Hot Wheels, of course, the legendary Larry Wood. Mm-hmm. Larry's been on the show. Um, a great guy. He is an amazing guy, and he's he's still out there in his, in his I, think, I think, his home garage. You know, he's still active and, and doing stuff. Oh, yeah. But... Going back to that bone shaker, which is what I remember, right? That was like, I don't know, when we were coming up, it seemed like things were a bit conservative. Like you had the army figurines, you had the tanks, you had all this stuff. And then it was about about the time when wrestling got really popular in the 70s and 80s. Bone crusher (laughs) or bone shaker. I call it the crusher. But the bone shaker, which was designed by Larry Wood, Yep. You ever sit down with him and, and talk to him about what his inspiration oh. was for that? You know, Larry Larry, uh, Larry and I are great friends, you know. Uh, he he likes hot rods. Larry has a whole bunch, you know, and every time he gets a new one, he calls me up and says, hey, Mikey, look what I got, and then he'll send me some pictures. And uh, hey, hey, wait a minute, he, Mike, I got to interject. That messes you up as a Hot Wheels collector, doesn't to. it? It has to be. <laughs> You get. I mean, I can see. I can see you drinking over some. Some man. How do I overcome this Hot Wheels situation? Um, you know, it, it's it's it, it it did not. It wasn't supposed to be the way it is with me and 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 Hot Wheels. You know, I'm a, just just a guy that collects Hot Wheels and and just one thing led to another. And then, you know, like I said, you got Larry Wood calling you up and and uh, you know, or, or when I go to, to to California and I stop in Long Beach and we hang out in his garage and. He'll call me and ask me questions, you know, uh, if he's having problems with his brakes or something, you know, and uh, it's just, you know, awesome. It really, really is. Well, it's an amazing community. And I think, you know, the Larry Woods of the world for sure. Uh, And listen, the Hot Wheels tour, that's a big deal. I mean, for Hot Wheels, Mattel, it's still owned by Mattel, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. For Mattel to have the insight to still have these competitions. I mean, that's going to take the brand into next generation. Yes. Yeah, it does. It does already. They're, they're, they're into the JDM stuff. You know, they're, they're looking at the, uh, the the younger generation. You know, um, the collectors are only, I mean, the adult collectors are only 30% of the market. Where the other 70% is the kids and the grandma's buying stuff and the mom's buying stuff and, you know, that kind of thing. So, you know, getting getting the new generation in there is, is very, very, very uh, important for Hot Wheels to do. And uh, I mean, know, they're going to be buying with Bitcoin, but that's okay. We need them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but really, on the side of, you said 70%. That is huge. Let me ask you, it takes distribution for any product or good sitting on the shelf. 
Hot Wheels has been pretty good about managing their distribution channels. Of course, you can go on online, right, e-commerce, but mm-hmm. I can mm-hmm. Walmart. I can go into Walmart today, buy a fishing pole, and get my favorite Hot Wheels car. There are, you know, anywhere you go, pretty much anywhere you go, whether it's a drugstore, the grocery store, the little mom and pop store, Walmart. Um, you know, there are Hot Wheel cars. There are like six Hot Wheels cars sold every second somewhere in the world. Wow. Now, you, uh, now are, here in the desert, we got a few people out there selling crystals and quartzites and stuff. And quartzite, some of my locals know on the way to California, you go to quartzite, you get a bad cheeseburger and overpriced crystals. And I tell you what, <laughs> you will find a Hot Wheels in the middle of the desert. That's oh, for yeah. sure. That's for sure. If you're listening to the old legend Art Bell out there in Nevada, there's some store on the corner selling aged hot buns and fresh Hot Wheels. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen it a million but times. But it's true. I it mean, is. I think yeah, the, I think is. their distribution is genius. They are they are really everywhere. Is. And then you add a good brand will meet their audience where they want to be. And to have the Hot Wheels tour, I mean, that's huge. It is. And, and of course, they, they uh, partner with Walmart to do that. So, you know, they're, they're bringing in thousands and thousands of people for that day to go to the Walmart to hang out with cars and the, and the people from, from Mattel and Hot Wheels. And they're selling Hot Wheels. I mean, they're selling thousands and thousands of Hot Wheels in that one day. Yeah. And if you look at any of the uh, any, any Walmart, well, not right now because they're all sitting out in the ocean, but normally uh, your, your local Walmart will go through uh, you know, probably four, five hundred, maybe you know, 600 Hot Wheels a week. It's not more, you know, depending on the size of the All right, I, ha- I have an idea for your YouTube channel. What you sure. need to do is interview at least three individuals that metal detect for a living. They go on the beach and beep, beep, beep. I bet you they'll tell you, you ask them, what do you find a lot of? Number one, pennies, probably, right? Maybe. Change. I guarantee you Hot Wheels is in the top ten. I found I'm going to say, on the beach, yeah. I'm going to say that they, that they find a lot of Hot Wheels because kids are always playing their Hot Wheels on the beach. Yep. Yeah, and they're getting I, lost in the sand. They are. All right, yeah. listen. I, I told the people. I don't. I. I don't want to get hate email. We sent our our weekly newsletter <laughs> out. And I said you're one of the world's largest. How many Hot Wheels do you have, Mister Mike? I have over three uh, thirty thousand different Hot Wheels. Yeah, out of that thirty thousand, there there is a difference in in every one of them. So how does that? What kind of conversation in your household does that look like when you say, hey, listen, we've got to remodel that bathroom. I've got another 3,000 cars to add. I mean, that's huge. Uh, I've got, I've, I've got, um, I got stuff in my office. I've got, I got a display room, plus I have like 2,500 square feet of storage in, in the basement for my stuff. Um, yeah, I, I've, like I said, I've, I've got track sets and play sets. I've got, you know, you name it, uh, underwear sunglasses, uh, socks, anything that you can put the Hot Wheel logo on, I pretty much have it. Get on to Mike Zarnick, Z-A-R-N-O-C-K.com. Hot Wheels TV, you name it. The man just said he got Hot Wheels underwear. I mean, if you're an avid collector. You better have it. I think I think Mike's in that zone. He's a true historian. Uh, I want you guys to uh, catch us uh, next week, of course. Uh, we'll be up in uh, Concourse in the Hills. Give me that date again, Greg. It was February 12th. February 12th. Yes. We'll be out there. We'll have some swag. But more importantly, great time to raise money. Phoenix Children's Hospital. Over a 1,000 vehicles. There'll be military vehicles out there. It's a good time, perfect weather. As I tell you every week, be safe, hug each other, and never forget to hug a mechanic. Kiss me hard before you go.
Summertime side.